Thank you, Pastor Stephanie. Uh, and thank you, West Hills. Thank you to the West Hills team for making us at Access feel so welcome um, in the midst of doing a combined worship gathering uh, to see folks from our church reading the scripture um, in the language uh, of their birth, and then also um, to get to do to get to share our remix of the Lord's Prayer. It's really fun to be doing worship together and to get to share some of the things that we uh, typically do at home in Southeast. Uh, so it's a gift to be together today, uh, West Hills. Hey, what's up, Access? Um, here we are together. What's up, everybody on the internet? Um, really grateful to be worshiping together and to get to share a little bit out of God's word today. Um, Really grateful to be together, but also um, I haven't preached with West Hills since 2019. So can we just talk about 2020 for a second? Uh, it's tough, right? I mean, I feel like I've been in a few knockdown, drag out conversations about 2020 in the last couple of weeks, even just uh, last night in my own house. It is a tough time. Uh, in fact, I had one friend. And if you don't like this, I'll just tell you, it was a pastor friend who suggested in the wisdom of the internet that 2020 should be a new cuss word. Hopefully that's okay to say, I don't know. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be making this joke, right? Um, <laughs> and this was the last time Access and West Hills worshiped together. Um, you know, but like if 2020 was a cuss word, right? Like this is some 2020 and I 2020 wish you would. That's how 2020 feels. It's tough. It is not fun. Um, in the midst of that, I'm grateful for times like this when creative and generous people who love Jesus and love their neighbor can come together and say, Lord, what do you have for us in this 2020? So I'm excited to open the word today. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Um, so if you've got a paper Bible, you can open that up and uh, follow along in just a moment. Let me give us some context for what's happening here. Um, this is Jesus at the height of his influence, okay? He has performed many miracles. In Matthew's gospel, he has given us uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the largest recorded body of Jesus' teaching uh, anywhere and certainly uh, uh, anywhere in the ancient world. Now what's happened is Jesus has entered Jerusalem and his many followers and many curious people are thinking this is the time when Jesus will seize power from the corrupt status quo. This is the time when he will lead the people in revolution against our imperial oppressors who colonized us, the Roman government. And he's come into the city uh, and, and thousands have gathered to acclaim him and say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And not only did he come in in that style, he goes into the temple and he disrupts business as usual, where people are selling animals and uh, exchanging money with pilgrims who have come a long way to worship and giving them unfair exchange rates and all the, all the predatory practices that happen to people who are migrants and travelers. Jesus has gone into that business, which was a major business in the capital city, and he has disrupted it. Some would say he has rioted. Okay, so he has messed up that business. And of course, there are powerful groups 
uh, who don't want this to happen. And so in our text today in Matthew chapter 22, we're going to see a couple of these powerful groups. We're going to see the Pharisees and the Herodians. Uh, the Pharisees, just a reminder, um, are, are a influential grassroots religious group, really the dominant form of worshiping God in Judah at that time. Um, and the Pharisees emphasize obedience to God's word. They emphasize religious purity. And they look at the troubled state of their nation, and I am not even making this up. I've been saying this uh, about the Pharisees since long before the current administration. They are saying, we need to get back to the values that made our nation great. And that is what the Pharisees are saying, that if God's people would just take God's word seriously like we used to do in the good old days, then God himself would come and set us free and heal all our diseases and forgive our sins and everything would be better. So that's the Pharisees. Think of them as the purity cult. They emphasize personal purity, religious purity, traditional purity. Then you've got the Herodians. The Herodians are the puppet government that cooperates with the global Roman Empire. The Herodians are people of, uh, to put it charitably, questionable purity. They give lip service to God, but what they are really known for is dishonesty, treachery, adultery, violence, and winning at all costs. Amazingly, the Pharisees and the Herodians have found something in common. They really don't like Jesus. The Pharisees are threatened by Jesus because he has a radical way of being that is so inclusive that seems to indicate that the embrace of the creator is widening to people who have previously been, been excluded. Jesus is calling blessed and beloved of God people whose behavior and whose identity would have rendered them ineligible to participate in spiritual life would have meant that they were not allowed to participate with the people of God in things like worship or eating meals together or even living in the same house. So the Pharisees find Jesus so threatening because of his radical inclusion, his radical embrace of the worst of sinners and the, and the most oppressed of outcasts. Now, for very different reasons, the Herodians also find Jesus threatening because Jesus right now is the most influential man in the most influential city in the country that the Herodians want to rule. And not only is Jesus totally unlike them, he, I mean, he leads with integrity. He leads with compassion. He doesn't do any of this winning at all cost business. He won't play ball with them. He won't get with their political program. So amazingly, the Pharisees and the Herodians have come together to cooperate because they both are threatened by Jesus. So to set this up, if you can imagine a situation where a religious group focused on purity and traditional values would find themselves allied with a political family, that has a reputation for dishonesty and violence and adultery and winning at all costs, then you get it. I'm sure it's hard to imagine, but just think about it. Now, in the midst of that, I wanna say that we did not choose this text for today. Um, at West Hills, 
and at Access, we have been preaching on Sundays out of the lectionary, which is a series of scriptures that are chosen years in advance. And uh, I got to say, when, when we were planning this service and I looked at the text, there was a moment when my heart sank because I thought, God, this is a terrible text for an election year. This is a terrible text for uh, anyone who would like to avoid discussions of political debate. Because in this text, Jesus is literally in a political debate. And I got to tell you, on Sunday morning, part of me would really just like to unplug and I don't blame you. Some of you are probably just clicking off right now. It's okay. You can come back and watch it when you're feeling a little better. Jesus literally gets involved in a political debate right here on the hot button issues of the day. So it's a terrible text for an election year. Unless it is a really good text for an election year. Unless Jesus, rather than leading us to escape from the things that are painful, would instead take on flesh and lead us right through them so that we can see how God is at work. So it's in that hope that I invite us to open the word together. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Um, however you do it, whether with your eyes closed, just listening or reading along, um, I invite you to give your full attention to the reading of God's word. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, I don't know if this is a terrible text for an election year, or if this is just a terrible election year. Probably that one. And in the midst of the pressures of the pandemic, in the midst of deep anxiety and division, in the, in the midst of rancor and hatred, of anger and hurt and pain, of injustice and danger, we cry out that you would make a way for us to be your people. We cry out that you would speak to us, that you would guide us and form us and lead us so that we can be the body of Christ, the people formed in your image the people who love the things that you love, the people who follow after your heart. So hear our prayer, God, as we ask you to guide us and lead us and make us your people. Spirit of God, speak through the word of God to the people of God. Amen.
when we seek to follow Jesus in the heat of political strife, as we're seeing in this text, when we seek to follow Jesus in the heat of political strife, we remember the way of Jesus is never to seek our own power. It is always to surrender ourselves to God. The way of Jesus is never to seek our own power. It is always to surrender ourselves to God. And we can do this with great hope because Jesus has already done it for us. The way of Jesus is never to seek our own power. It's always to surrender ourselves to God. It sounds biblical. It sounds Christian. It sounds like something we ought to do. And yet, and yet, the pressures of 2020 conspire to push us out of a place of trusting God and instead into a place of anxiety and fear, of anger and despair. Maybe that anxiety looks like obsessive, almost addictive engagement with politics. Maybe you haven't turned off the notification for all the news alerts and you're getting breaking news all day and all night. Maybe that anxiety looks like passive avoidance of the realities of this critical moment of escapism. Maybe that anxiety looks like compulsive rage posting on social media and appointing yourself the, uh, the police of somebody else's comment thread. I literally had to take myself aside the other day and look in the mirror and say, you are not the police of someone else's Facebook page. I had to tell myself that. So how does Jesus do it? How does Jesus do it? What does he do in the heat of political strife? What does he do when presented with the hot button issues? And paying taxes to Caesar absolutely was a hot button issue because it was agreed upon by the people of Judah that the Roman government was the oppressor. They were an evil government who had stolen the land and slaughtered the people who continued to practice all kinds of oppression and extortion throughout the land. And yet it was a catch-22, because obviously, if you don't pay the power that's extorting you, you're in physical danger. So it was this huge hot-button issue. How can we give our resources and our money to this horrible, evil oppressor when what our desire is, is for God to come and renew all things? Well, when we're seeking to follow Jesus in the midst of political strife, uh, this encounter in chapter 22, um, for me, posed a few questions that I hope we can uh, integrate into our own journey in this difficult election season. A few questions that I'll ask as we go along. I'm going to ask, whose question is this? And I'm going to ask, whose system is this? And I'm going to ask, whose am I? Verse 15, 
Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said, so they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? See, Jesus has provoked a crisis by embodying God's way of radical, nonviolent inclusion. He's in the midst of manifesting a whole new way to be alive, a whole new way to relate to creator and to created people. He has incarnated this widening embrace of the creator and his way of being is so threatening to the status quo that it's brought the purity cult into an alliance with the power cult. And they ask him this question to trap him, right? If he says, yes, it's lawful, meaning God's law, yes, it's God's will to pay taxes to Caesar, he loses spiritual authority. He loses theological legitimacy. But if he says, no, we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, and his thousands of followers hear this and take his advice, violence will begin. The Romans will start killing people, which is exactly what happened when Jesus was a boy. And a revolutionary named Judas of Galilee led thousands of people in a movement of not paying taxes to the empire. And it ended with their crucified bodies lining the roads of Judah. So the Pharisees and the Herodians figure they've got Jesus trapped. Either he loses spiritual authority in the sight of the people, or he loses his life at the hands of the Romans. This is a win-win. But Jesus responds and he calls out their hypocrisy and he says, your question has nothing to do with God. Your question has nothing to do with God. It's a distraction from the people that God cares about. And we know who God cares about. And we know who the authors of Matthew's gospel believe God cares about because Jesus has told us in chapter 5, God cares for the poor. God cares for those who are mourning and suffering. God cares for those who are meek and not grasping for power. God cares for those who are hungry for justice, not personal gain. God cares for those who love mercy, not those who try to get their political opponents whacked. God is here for those who make peace, not for those who plot violence. And Jesus says, you're trying to pigeonhole me into some kind of either or black and white binary thinking You want to use this as a wedge issue uh, so that you don't have to consider the claims of God to love all people. But this has nothing to do with what God's about. And we know it because the people who are following Jesus, those who have been healed of their diseases, those who have been forgiven of their sin, had demons cast out of them, those who have been given a hope for the renewal of their people, they're not asking Jesus about the theology of taxes. They want to be close to him. They want to do what he's doing. Whose question is this? Is this the question of those that Jesus is saving? The downtrodden and the outcast? Or is this the question of privileged people seeking to protect their own power? Father Greg Boyle, founder of the gang recovery program, Homeboy Industries, has this profound insight on how Jesus deals with political hot-button issues. He says, the strategy of Jesus 
is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and those on the margins. It's so good, I'll read it again. The strategy of Jesus is not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and those on the margins. In the heat of political strife, when we get cornered into hot button issues, let's ask ourselves, whose question is this? That question can take us a long way in the right direction, but Jesus goes even deeper, deeper than I want him to, honestly. And he's got me asking, whose system is this? In verse 19, it has a few simple words that often get overlooked, but the conversation hinges on these words, and if I let it, it will rock me. I'm still deciding if I'm going to let it rock me, but I'll tell you what I'm seeing. Verse 19, Jesus says, Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Did you catch that? When we read this story, we're so hungry to find out whether or not we're supposed to pay taxes or whether Jesus will win the argument. We don't even notice the crucial fact. Jesus doesn't have a coin to pay the tax with. Jesus has no money. He is not identified with those who are fighting for their slice of the pie. He's identified with those who get no pie, regardless of who's in power. He's identified with those who are so far outside the system, the winner of the contest will not affect them because they'll be on the margins regardless. He's not attached to the outcome of whoever will control the system because he is attached to those who are outside the system. Until I am an old man, I will be proud of the way that Access Covenant Church responded in the early days of the pandemic. When we uh, received, uh, as a number of us did, the stimulus checks from the federal government. Now, a number of us were fortunate to continue working and to not experience wage loss. And a text message thread started, uh, it wasn't my idea, and it just turned into something where those of us who had received the stimulus checks began to redistribute them to undocumented friends who had lost wages, but who were not eligible to receive the checks. And it was because through the relationships, the friendships in the neighborhood schools and in other places, we were attached to those outside the system. And I have to ask myself, as someone inside the system, someone who is able to benefit from the way things are, how attached am I to the existing system? Am I ready to reimagine my relationship with the system? Am I ready to follow Jesus as he attaches himself to those who live outside the system that I'm trying to succeed in? Those are tough questions, but thanks be to God, we don't ask them on our own. Final thought, verse 20, Jesus said to them, whose head is this and whose title? 
They answered, the emperors. And he said, therefore, he said, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. Uh, Whose head is this? My translation says head. Uh, Yours may say something different, but it's literally true. The coin had the emperor's headshot on it, uh, just like we have headshots of Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln on our coins. Or if you're really lucky, you have Ben Franklin's headshot. Haven't seen one of those in a while. Whose head is this? Other translations say, whose image is this? It's a Greek word, icon. And it's the same word that the authors of Genesis 1 use when they say that humankind is made in the icon or image of God. Jesus is uh, speaking to an audience deeply familiar with Genesis 1. And when they hear him say that word, they know he's saying, the system y'all are fighting about? That system belongs to the emperor. But you, you belong to God. Christian people, followers of Jesus. Heck, this is true even if you're not a follower of Jesus. So go ahead, get on this train. We do not belong to the United States of America. We do not belong to the United States of America. The U.S. does not own us. Now, let me clarify. Let me clarify what I'm saying. We love the U.S. We are called to love the United States because God calls us to love our neighbor. So let's do whatever we can to love this nation. Even in its present troubled state, let's love our neighbors personally and systemically. But let's do so not because we belong to America, but because we belong to Jesus. I recently heard a sermon by Pastor Jeff Chu that explained my life to me, that put something together for me that I had felt for a long time but never quite had the words for. And and it's this, belonging and justice are inseparable. Listen to what Pastor Jeff had to say. He said, if belonging existed, we would have justice. If we saw our interconnectedness, we would have justice. In this unjust world, in this world of impoverished belonging, this is the core question. Do you believe you matter to God? Do you believe you matter to God? And Jesus, with every word from his mouth, Every act of his body, every breath in his lungs, Jesus of Nazareth answers that question with an unrelenting, yes, you belong to God. You belong to God, no matter what voices have tried to disqualify you. Voices inside of your head and voices inside of the government. Voices on the street and voices on your Facebook feed. You belong to God. You are God's beloved, and that changes everything. And that is the foundation for the ways that we are to love our neighbor. That is the foundation for the ways that we are to seek justice, not because we belong to one political party or another, but because all belong to God and all are connected. Friends, we matter to God. 
even in the pain of this moment. And because we matter to him, we can face the pain. We can face the fear. We can face the injustice. We can face the suffering and we can face the unknown with resolve to go the way of Jesus, not protecting our own power, but surrendering ourselves to him and attaching ourselves to those who exist on the outside of the system, not protecting our place in the system, or, but, but instead reimagining our relationship to it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus himself, in his final days, did not fight for the top spot. He attached himself to those condemned to die on the outside of the system, on the cross. And he spent his final moments declaring that those who were dying with him and those who were killing him belonged to God. And he surrendered himself wholly to the creator for our sake so that we could follow him follow him in reimagining our relationship to the world from a place of belonging to him. Let's pray together. Jesus, in the midst of political strife, in the midst of a kind of tension that goes beyond anything that most of us remember, we cry out that you, by your spirit, would teach us that we belong to you. That every other voice that has tried to lay, lay a claim on us and tell us who we are would be stripped away as we remember that it is your icon, it is your image that you have placed in us. And Spirit of God, even as you convince us of our belonging, would you also teach us what that means? Would you teach us what it means to walk in the way of Jesus, who did not fight for his own place, but surrendered himself to God for the sake of others? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.